Well, I can't tell you how happy that we are to be with you this morning. It seems like it has been an extremely long time in the coming. But we made it. We're here. And we appreciate the invitation to come and be a part of your family here at the White Oak Church of Christ. I know that you have a very close relationship with Wesley Simons and Eddie Kraft, and I'm sorry for that, but I also have a close relationship with them. And when when Eddie, uh, he knew that it was time for me to uh, leave Memphis and I wanted to come back uh, closer to this area, just so happened. He sent me a text and he said, Would you be interested in the White Oak Church of Christ? And I said, I've known about the White Oak Church of Christ for a long time. And they have always been known to stand for truth, to be faithful, and a man would be crazy not to consider the White Oak Church of Christ becoming a part of those good people. And so, uh, through the providence of God and His great blessings, here we are today. And I appreciate that. We have not been treated kinder anywhere we've ever been. And for that, we appreciate. Nicole, it was, uh, uh, I felt a little sorry for that, for that little girl. We were surrounded by boxes and we didn't really know where anything was, and we were trying to live out of that house that we just got. And, and all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and here these ladies came with this huge feast for us from the members here at White Oak. We appreciate that. Couldn't have come at a better time. I thought, I thought Nicole was going to cry because we didn't have to worry about hunting through places and trying to figure out what we were going to eat or anything like that. I appreciate uh, Brother Preston. Preston and I, we have a long history together, though we haven't been personally connected until I got here. But I left uh, the Wheeler Hill congregation and went to Memphis, Tennessee, and Preston began to preach up at the Wheeler Hill congregation until Dale Barger came. So when it came time for me to leave Memphis and come to the White Oak congregation, it was going to be a little while, and so Preston filled in till I got here, and I appreciate him for that now. He did ask me, he said, if they run you off from here, please don't go far because I don't want to have to drive for a very long distance when I go fill in for you till you get there. And I said, okay, we'll see what we can do about that. But I am thankful to be here. I have a great excitement for the good things that are going to happen as we work together here at White Oak. We're going to talk this morning about a fresh start. When a child is born, we look at him or her and, and we gaze into the eyes of that child and, and we think about the great potential that is lying in our hands as we hold that baby. Now, Sister Sandra has a new baby in the family, has a grandbaby, and as they look at that child, there's no doubt all the things that are going to go through their minds as they Think about all the great things that they are going to do or that that child is going to do and how proud they are going to be. And sometimes that potential is realized and sometimes the potential is not realized. There we go. Sometimes it takes doing it again, doesn't it? Sometimes the opportunities that with which we are blessed, we do not take advantage of those. And we have to go back and do it again, right? 
Sometimes we have to make a mistake or two, and then we realize exactly what we need to do, and then that potential can be uh, seen. There we go. I'll, I'll figure this system out. But have you ever wanted to start over? Have you ever wanted to start over? I've wanted to start over a time or two. I think in life we are presented with situations where we say, you know, I didn't, I didn't do that up to my potential or I didn't do that exactly the way I wanted to do it and I really would like to have a second chance at doing that. You know, I can remember growing up and as a child playing with my brother and my sister or with my friends or my cousins and we would have a big family get together or something of the nature and all the cousins would be out there playing and have you ever heard that, that phrase, that doesn't count, I want to do it again. You're playing a game? Well, that one doesn't count. I'm going to do it again. I might have heard that this past Friday night at game night. That doesn't count. I want to do it again. I'm not sure. But that happens, doesn't it? We are familiar with that. But sometimes we just need to start over. Sometimes we need a second chance. Sometimes we need to be able to do it again because if we don't, we may never achieve that which we want in this life. There's a tale of three young men that has been told who went on a journey through life and the, the tale about the adventures that they shared and the obstacles that they overcome and the lessons of life that they learned. Mike, Mark, and Jack, they were three young men and they hung out together. And they hung out at a place where a lot of young people hang out and where I have hung out in the past. And that place is known as No Goal Arcade. It just seems as if, and I, I found myself in a position like that as a young man, didn't really have any goals in front of me. I didn't really have any desire to do better or to move ahead in life and to tackle those obstacles that were in front of me. Sometimes I just wanted to go around them or to avoid them altogether. But the problem is you really can't go around every obstacle. You really can't avoid every obstacle. Well... Life was pretty much humdrum for them. Not a whole lot of activity going on. They just hung around and, and they were wasting time like a lot of people waste time. But there was a window there in that arcade and they would peer out that window and there was a mountain in the background. Now that mountain was called Mount Destiny. And one day they decided, they said, you know, we've been looking at this mountain. Let's go climb that mountain. And so they just loaded up one day and they began to hike toward that mountain. And they hiked and for about two or three hours they were doing pretty well and then they came to a dead end. Well, that place was known as the Dead End Canyon. You know what they did? They just turned around went right back to the arcade, went back to where there were no goals in sight and began to hang around and to waste time. Well, it went on and as they continued to be there, they still saw that mountain in the background and it began to become a burning desire for them to go climb that mountain. They hadn't left their minds and their hearts altogether. And then one day an older gentleman, he happened to drop into the arcade, but he had climbed that mountain many years ago. And he began to talk to them and, and they began to tell him their story and how they tried to climb the mountain and they were unsuccessful. And so he became their mentor. And he began to talk about how they would go about climbing that mountain and the things that he did that allowed him to do that. 
So they determined one day, we're going to go climb that mountain again. Or try to climb it for the first time. And so they bought some supplies and they got some gear and they had all the things they needed. They looked like mountain climbers and they felt like mountain climbers. Well, they were ready to leave. They said farewell to all their friends that had no goals and they headed out toward the mountain. They had all their maps, their compasses and their ropes and all those things and as they were on their journey, the weather was even cooperating for the most part. Well, as they continued their trek hour after hour, then the weather became a little rough. It became difficult to continue that climb. So they made camp and they... uh got into their sleeping bags, and they were extremely frustrated. They were extremely frustrated over the turn of events, and so they they bedded down that night, and when they woke up, Mike and Mark discovered that their friend, Jack, was gone. He had left a note. He said, look, it's just too much for me. I'm not going to continue on with this. I'm going to go back. The weather's too bad. I'm going to go back there where my old friends were and, and just do what we used to do. He said, this climb is too much work. The weather is a pain. Nothing's going our way. Hey, you can join me back at the arcade. Well, Mike and Mark were disappointed, but you know what they said? They said, we're going to move on. So they began to climb that mountain and they kept going. And they looked and they had a goal before them. But as the climb continued, it got more difficult and more difficult. And and finally, they came to a little rise in the mountain and they got over the mountain and they saw this beautiful valley open up in front of them. Beautiful pasture looked like, a wonderful lake and a stream. and, And they fished and they laid in the sun. Well, you know what that valley was called? It was called Good Enough Valley. Good Enough. And so they stayed there for three or four days. And and then finally, Mike got restless. And he told Mark, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get up in the morning. We're going to break camp. And we're going to head on. And we're going to finish this climb. And, And Mark said, no, I like it here. I'm going to stay. Hey, this is good enough for me. And so Mike went on alone. He climbed uh, some of the most difficult rock walls that they had encountered on the trip. He had cold, bloody fingers. He had skint knees. He had all the scratches and the scars of a tough climb. But he kept going. He grabbed onto rocks. And he kept going. And you know what happened? He was determined to make it to the top of that mountain. And he made it. He made it to the top of Mount Destiny. Well, the other two guys didn't make it. Well, years later, Mike and Mark and Jack, they met up again. They happened to run into, a pl- into each other in a place called the Hereafter. And so, Mark and Jack came up to Mike and they said, Hey, tell us about the rest of that journey. He kind of smiled. He said, really, he said, it wasn't about the journey itself. He said, it's what I learned along the way. When we were all hanging out there at No Goal Arcade, we had no dreams and therefore we had no goals. And I knew that if I was going to have a goal, 
I had to have a dream. And if I was going to have a dream, I had to have a goal. And so I kept going. He said, there's no magic in having little dreams and little goals. He says, there's great magic in having big dreams and big goals. Tackling something that it looks like it's going to be difficult, but boy, when we get through with it, aren't we so happy that we did? Kind of like that math class I was talking about in in class this morning. When I finished that math class, I got an A in it, and I was so proud. Now, at the same time, I got an A- minus in New Testament studies, so go figure that one out. But he t- smiled at his friends, and he said, You know, you have to have a dream. He said, Jack, we got to Dead End Canyon the first time, and we went back. And then we started climbing that second time, and you, you didn't want to go. You didn't want to persevere. And then, Mark, we got there to Good Enough Valley, and you wanted to stay, and so you couldn't go on to Mount Destiny. He said, I kept going. He said, if you settle for second best, that's all you're ever going to have is second best. You're never going to reach the top. He said, I went along through the hardest of the climb, and I kept going. I knew there was something waiting on me. He said, quitters never win, and winners never quit, right? Sometimes we have to step back, and sometimes we have to have a second chance to start over. Sometimes we have to do something a second time to get what we need. He said, there's never an end to learning, only new beginnings. With that statement, he turned to his friends from another time and from a long ago, and he said with confidence, that same confidence of the old man that mentored them, he looked at them and he said, let's begin. And they did. Now, there are a lot of things to this story. That are just that. It's a story, right? A lot of things in this story that's not actually going to happen, but we get the point. We understand what the writer was talking about. There are times when we make mistakes. There are times when we have to start over. There are times when maybe we didn't have an interest in a certain thing, but later on we learned that we needed to. And so we began to focus on that. And it may even have been something we should have learned years ago, but we just didn't. But that's okay, as long as we still have life in our bodies and breath in our lungs, we can start over. We can learn again. We can have a fresh beginning. We can have a fresh start. The Apostle Paul knew all about that, didn't he? He knew about starting over. After all, he was a murderer of Christians and he tried to destroy the church for which Christ died and for which eventually he gave his life. In his letter to the Romans, and that's where we're going to be at this morning, He gave them the blueprint of how to start fresh. How to do those things that they needed to do in the proper way. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We're going to notice verses 8 through 14. We're going to talk a little bit bit about that this morning. And of course, in the context of what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about spiritual beginnings. A spiritual fresh start. Because God wants all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. And He's given us the knowledge that He has that desire because of that great verse that we all know so well. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever loved Him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we're going to start with that. We're going to start with love. Because that's what Paul started with in our passage. And we're going to begin there this morning. I want us to notice that If we're going to have a new beginning, we're going to have a fresh start, we have to start with love. Why is that? 
Well, fortunately for us, God always gives us the reason for His commandments. He always gives us the reason for those commandments. Let's talk, for example, let's notice for just a moment. God gave us a plan of salvation. He told us, in the written form, the Word of God, how we can become Christians, how we can become saved. And He gave us the reason for each process, each step within the process of why He gave that to us. For instance, notice, He told us we needed to pay attention and to understand and to hear His words. Romans 1.16 For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not what Rick Owens says. It's what God says. Why do we need to hear the gospel? He gave us the reason. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. He talked to us and He said you have to have faith. Why? Because it pleases God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 He gives us the reason. Why should we repent? Jesus said, if we do not repent, we'll perish. That's what happens when we involve ourselves in sin. If we live a life of sin, we're going to perish. And Jesus said, repent. That's pretty simple, isn't it? God said that we're to make that good and that great confession, Acts 8 verse 37, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why? Why is that? We have a reason given for that. Romans 10, 9 and 10 because it brings us unto salvation. Now notice that Paul did not say confession of Jesus Christ puts us into salvation. He said it brings us unto it. It's kind of like you come unto the edge of the cliff, right? We can, become, we can come to the edge of the cliff, come unto it. As long as we don't go over it, we'll be fine. See, salvation is the same way. We can come unto salvation, but until we get into it, we're not going to be okay. He said baptism, right? Immersion in water. Why? Why do we need to be immersed in water? Well, Peter told us that it saves us, right? First Peter 3.21 He was talking about that example of Noah and those that were saved on the ark. and He said the like figure or the same example whereunto baptism also saves us. Not to put in way of the filth of the flesh. We're not going to take a bath. We're not going to wash off the dirt and grime of the day. But it is the answer of a clear conscience toward God. It saves us, gives us a clear conscience. So He gives us those examples. And He does the same thing when He said that you need to be faithful, right? You need to live a faithful life. Matthew 10, verse 22. Why live faithfully? Because those that endure to the end shall be saved. And so He tells us that. And it's the same thing in our passage this morning. He talks about love, and He tells us why we need to do it. Now I want us to notice, back up in that chapter, just a few verses. Earlier in the chapter, Paul spoke of the necessity of paying taxes that we owe. Now none of us like to do that, right? I hate to pay taxes. I don't like that. But then, he instructed the people on what we owe each other. Now, we may owe the government taxes, but what do we owe each other? What do we owe our brethren? Love. That's what we're talking about. That's what we have to have with a fresh start, right? We have to have love. What do we owe each other? Love. He said, owe no man anything but love. Now, he's not condemning contracting to borrow money. That's a good thing, isn't it? As long as those obligations are met. But he's talking about the most important thing. To love one another. In other words, 
we're always going to owe each other a debt of love. And if we're going to start fresh, what and wherever we are in life, we have to start with that. The reason we love is because it fulfills the gospel of Christ. I want us to notice what John said. Jesus commanded, or what John recorded, Jesus commanded, Love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. When we begin to understand that kind of love, the whole a whole new world is opened up to us, right? We begin to see things a little differently. We begin to consider others before ourselves. Why? Because it's founded in God's love. When we begin to understand love like God understands it, things become clearer. Notice what John said. He told us what that meant. 1 John 4, 7-11. through He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. What is God? Well, God's love. In essence, that's what God is. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son, the only one of that kind, into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. We didn't love God first, but His grace toward us He extended His love to us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or the payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's what He's talking about, right? That's the reason. He never said it would be an easy task. He just said it was one we had to do. And it may be difficult at times. You're not going to believe this when I tell you. Sometimes it's very hard to love me. Very hard to love me at times. But you know, God says you have to, so I expect you to go ahead and love me. Okay? And if I tell you I'm sorry for something, you have to forgive me because that's what God said you had to do. Right? And so we have to love one another. That's the first step in starting over. That's the reason we do it, because of love. But you know, we have to learn some kind of application, right? How do we take that reason for loving to start over How do we make some kind of an application to what Paul is teaching here so that we can realize the goal we have set before us? Well, we love like Jesus loved, right? That's how we realize it. We love the way Jesus loved. That's going to raise our quality of love, isn't it? We're going to understand exactly what love is. Jesus loved the unlovable. Now think about that for just a moment. As He hung on the cross, the people stood beholding Luke 22, 35-37. He was hanging on the cross. He had already endured the scourging. He had already been mocked and abused. And as He was hanging on the cross, the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided Him. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. 
He's given Himself for the sins of the world, and you have these unlovable people coming to the foot of the cross, wagging their fingers, making fun. Oh, you saved other people. Can you not save yourself? What did He do? He loved. And that ought to raise our level of love. His standard of love was high, wasn't it? He said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John fifteen thirteen. Here is the facts of the matter. The truth of the situation is no one took his life. He allowed it to happen. He laid down his life so that each of us could live. That ought to really impact our way of love. We pay our debt of love in the same way that He showed His love by loving. That's what we owe each other. If we're going to have a fresh start in life, that's what we must do. We show our love through active goodwill, don't we? 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 gives that great example and description of what love is. Love doesn't do this, it doesn't do that, but it does do these things. The greatest chapter on love probably the world knows. Love does not give up on anyone. Love doesn't do that. Love perseveres. Love keeps going. Now that does not mean that we do just whatever anyone wants us to do or asks us to do, right? Sometimes we have to show our love in a way that an individual might not appreciate that. What do we know that as? That's been called tough love a time or two, hasn't it? We have children. We have to discipline our children. We have to spank them from time to time. It's not because we enjoy it. It's because we love them, right? An example was told me one time that, a, and I hope I haven't told you this. I may have. I don't know. A lady was uh, spanking her son in a public place and a police officer came up and started to give her a hard time and she said, look here, I'm taking care of him now so you don't have to take care of him later. See, that's great love. No one likes to have to do that. But see, that's what we have to do sometimes. That's what we have to do. But how do we start over? Okay, we start over. The first basic step is love. That's what Paul said here in Romans But then what do we do? We read down a few verses in our passage. He said, you start with love. But then, he said, do not linger. Do not linger. We don't have time to linger. We don't know when this life will be over. Anything could happen. I remember my time at at Wheeler Hill. I got a call one night. It was fairly late. And and, uh, two of the members, husband and wife, they got some bad news. They had a daughter that was about 39. Got killed in a car wreck. Had her young son with her. I, I believe he was around the age of 10. Didn't hurt him. He had a little scratch on his forehead. She was 39. Boom. Life was over. Don't linger. See, that can happen to anyone, right? We have to be busy. And how did Paul put it? He said... Wake up! Wake up! Come to your senses, right? He understood the nature of time. He knew it was short and it was fleeting, James 4, 14. It's like a vapor, like a puff of steam. It's here for a moment and it's gone. We can't rely upon it. 
We're not guaranteed any of it. The only time we are guaranteed is right now. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not four hours from now. Today is the day of salvation. They needed to start over, these people in Rome. They needed to get busy. They didn't even realize that they weren't doing what they needed to do and the things that they knew they needed to do, they were putting it off. He said, wake up. Now, they weren't physically asleep. They just didn't have any goals before them. They needed to start over. They needed to get busy. They needed to do those things. Someone was asked once, he said, what happens when when you give a procrastinator a good idea? Nothing, right? Nothing. Not going to happen, right? So we have to get busy. Don't linger. See, the most dangerous situation when it comes to our procrastination is when we apply that to our spiritual lives. Have you ever heard someone say, I know I need to be saved. I know I need to do the things that God has asked me to do. I just can't do it right now. I work in such a place that is not conducive to me to be, uh, to, me to be a Christian. Uh, my family situation is not going to allow me to become a Christian. What do you, that's procrastination, right? When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul makes a whole list of people. He says, you know, you've got people that are married. You've got people that are married to non-Christians. You've got people whose husbands or wives have left them because of the persecution. You've got slaves. He said, what do you do? Whatever situation you find yourself in, he said, you be a Christian. Right now. doesn't matter what my family situation is, right? It doesn't matter what I'm doing. And how many of us when we were younger felt like we would live forever, right? Now, I expect to get up in the morning. I expect to maybe come and organize my office a little bit. I don't know if you've seen in that door or not. I may need some help. But I expect that. But I'm not guaranteed that. I might wake up, I might not wake up. Have you ever known someone that just simply did not wake up? Have you had family members that have gone on? My dad passed away about two and a half years ago. I was up there four days before he got in this car wreck. And I was talking to him. I said, now dad, no one's trying to take your car keys away from you, but you've never really been able to drive very well, even when you were a young man, and you can't see anything, so just don't drive at night. Well, what did he do? Four days later, Driving at night, got in a car wreck, He's on, he was on blood thinners, got a bleed on the brain, ultimately it took his life. I was up there four days before that happened. You know what I was doing day two after I got back to Memphis? I was scheduling in my calendar when I would go back up there and see my dad. I never spoke to him again. He wasn't able. He was unconscious. I didn't expect that. But it happened. And so, I'm so thankful that I was able to be up there and spend some time with Him and stay with Him, right? Let's take advantage of our time. Let's become Christians. Let's straighten our lives out if we have been Christians and yet we're unfaithful. You know, we may understand that we need to obey the gospel of Christ and that that is how we're added to the church, Acts 2.47. But we may put it off. Paul talked about time. God gave us time, and He expects us to handle it properly, right? Ephesians 5, 
15 through 16, he said, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. He wants us to take care of our time. Don't linger. Wake up. Paul also understood as we read our passage that every day that passes we are closer to Christ coming back than we were yesterday. Now when's that going to happen? We don't know. But if we are not going to linger, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Paul said, wake up. Come out of your slumber. And then what do we do? We begin to walk the Christian life. We begin to walk the Christian life. That begins with casting off the works of darkness, right? We get out of the sinning business. That doesn't mean we're never going to sin, but that means we're not living in sin, right? We're going to live like God asked us to live. Paul listed a whole group of things in our passage that would keep us from gaining heaven. And he wants us to focus on what we need to do. Christ warned this. He said, No man can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve God in physical things. We have to serve one or the other, right? And if we do not choose ourselves who we will serve, by default we're serving Satan. We have to choose to serve God. If we put ourselves on co-pilot, it's just like going down a river in a raft. If you're not using the oar, it'll take you just wherever it wants to. We have to be very specific and we have to say, I want to serve God. Our lifestyle or the way in which we live is often referred to as our walk in the Bible. And so we have to wake up and we have to walk. See, the Pharisees, they patterned their walk, Mark 7 verse 5, after the traditions of men. Paul told us to walk like Jesus, Colossians 2 verse 6. He's our example. Let's walk like Him. He also taught us that when we initially obey the gospel through that faith we talked about, that repentance that we talked about, that great confession that we talked about, that baptism that we talked about, Romans 6 verse 4, he says, when we come up out of that watery grave, what happens? We walk a new life. We walk a new life. See, we're walking the Christian life. Our walk is very important. If one needs a fresh start in life, we need to love. We do not need to linger. But there's something else. See, our walk is going to determine whether we live in Christ or whether we die in sin. It's our final point. After we cast off the works of darkness through obedience, we have to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We have to be righteous. We have to live justified before God. And Paul said we do that by being in Christ where all spiritual blessings are. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Listen, if we're not in Christ, we're not able to connect to those spiritual blessings. I was having a Bible study one time, and I say this often when I'm uh, having a Bible study. We'll look in Ephesians 1 verse 3, and I say, how many spiritual blessings are outside of Christ? Well, none are, right? Because all blessings are in Christ. You can't get much aller than all, right? It's all there. And so we have to be in Him. There are only two places in the Bible that specifically tell us how to get into Christ. That's Galatians uh, 3, verses 26 and 27, 
and Romans 6 verse 3. And both of those places tell us we're baptized into Christ. Paul was telling those Galatian brethren, he wrote the letter to Christians. He said, you're all the sons and daughters by faith. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He told the Romans, you're baptized into the death of Christ. That's where we come into contact with His shed blood. If one's going to start over, it must begin with being in Christ. Now Paul talked about how it was when we were not in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 12, he, uh, he said at the time of, or at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, he said, without hope in the world. We don't want to be that way. It may be that, you know, that we just simply don't understand. It may be that, that we need to be taught a little better, right? And that's okay. That's okay. We all need that. I need that. But when we clothe ourselves in righteousness by putting on Christ, we also put on the armor of light. What does that do for us? Helps us resist Satan. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that comforting? When we clothe ourselves in the armor of light. See, we have to clothe ourselves properly on the outside. But we have to clothe ourselves properly on the inside. We have to be what God wants us to be. Peter and John were easily identified, weren't they? When people understand that we're Christians and they see our walk, how we're living, how we're not lingering, they'll know what we are. Notice what was said in Acts 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They had clothed themselves in the armor of God. Those people that knew them said, these are fishermen. They haven't had a, uh, an education. But they were with Jesus and they saw through their actions what they were and they were Christians. Those brethren reminded the people of Christ. And that's what we want to do. Paul said, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And he gives a detailed description of that in Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. And that's how faithful Christians will dress, right? Sometimes we just have to start over. That's okay. Sometimes it's good to start over. When we realize that we've gotten off the path, let's start over. Let's get back on the path. Because if we don't, We're not going to be able to enjoy the glory of heaven. Sometimes we have to start over through no fault of our own, right? Sometimes we have to make a fresh start then. And that's okay too. It may be that we simply come to a new chapter in our lives. That's what we've done, isn't it? Hey, we've come to a new chapter in our lives here at White Oak. No, through no fault of ours or really. It's just the way it is. And so we're going to start over. We're going to start fresh. Sometimes we have to start over through or because of something we've done. Sometimes we need to understand that we're not taking the right path, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. See, there are two paths in this life. One says that it's a narrow path. It's a, it's a restricted path. We have to live in such and such a way to be able to be faithful to God. And there's that other path that's real wide and broad. See, we have to make a choice. We have to decide, do I want to make a fresh start? Do I want to do those things that God has asked me to do? We can do that today.
if you've never been a Christian, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you if you put aside everything any man has ever told you, and you look at just those scriptures that we talked about today, how we become Christians. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, and faithful living. Now there are a whole lot of other plans out there that men have put together, but we find these in the Bible. If you've never done that, do that today. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with God. If you've done those things and perhaps you've become unfaithful, you've gotten off the path a little bit, you came to kind of dead-end canyon, you went back to the, to the old place, start that climb again. 1 John 1, 7 tells us that if we confess our faults, God is just to forgive us and then we can again walk in the light where we have fellowship with God and with each other and His blood continually cleanses us. Nothing better than that. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, please let that be known as we stand and as we sing.